Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Oppressed and enslaved in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years, the people of Israel cried out to God for help. Seeing the affliction of his people, God began his redemptive plan to one day lead them out of slavery into the promised land. So God appeared to Moses saying, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Pharaoh would not let the people go, though plague after plague served as a sign to him of God's power and sovereignty. Not until the tenth and final plague was Pharaoh finally moved to send the people of God away. So they left the land of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, passing from slavery to freedom. Well, hey, let's celebrate being together here this morning. I am so glad to be with you here today, and those of us who are online today, we're just grateful for you as well. And we're praying for Larry. Larry is on the Iditarod Trail right now. Um, I heard his sled tipped over and had some damage, but he's back on the trail and doing well, so continue to pray for him. I am just so thankful for our ACF family. You guys are just incredible. Uh, I'm thankful to be with you in this season, and and every time I step on the stage, I just think back to the past year where I got to preach to an Empty room, and so right now I have people in the room, and I get to kind of be with you, and and it's just so exciting to be together. And we are operating in uh, what we're calling a hybrid church model right now, which means we're meeting in homes and we're meeting in person here. And and if you're brand new here uh, this morning, uh, know that you're not alone. Every week we've got new people showing up. Some of you are new to town within the last month or two. Others of you have been part of ACF online for months, but we just haven't gotten to meet you yet. And so make sure that you meet. Some people here today. Say hi to somebody before you leave here today. Um, We are a family. We are a community together. And more than ever, I think uh, it's just clear in my heart that we need one another. And so make sure you lean into that. Also, if you want to pull out real quick your Easter challenge card, it was sitting on your seat. Uh, We are three weeks away from Easter. It's crazy. It's coming up really fast. And Easter is an incredible opportunity for us as a church. Pastor Stewart's going to talk more about this at the end. Uh, But this is one of two times in a year that most of your friends will say yes to an invitation to church, right? Uh, You know, we can invite people to church at all times. But Easter and Christmas are normally those times that people are like, all right, I guess I'll go to church with grandma, right? Or I guess I'll go to church. I'll take my wife or my kid uh, to church or or show up with some friends. And so um, we just want to encourage you to pray about who to be inviting to Easter this year. Um, Who is it that is in your life that maybe hasn't been part of ACF? Who is it that has some spiritual questions? Uh, Who is it that's going through something difficult right now? And if the answer is, I don't know anybody like that, 
you have some work to do, okay? It's time to meet somebody like that. It's time to reach out beyond your circle. If all your friends are Christians, Houston, we have a problem, okay? We have to make sure that we're, we're not becoming that, that holy huddle, as they say, where we're just hanging out with church people, right? And so I want to encourage you to consider doing that. We're really excited uh, that this year we get to do Easter in person, amen? Like, we get to be here together in the building. So really excited about that. If you want to uh, pull out your insert here today and maybe open a Bible, we are in the book of Exodus. We're in a series called Into the Wild. And you can also download the ACF Church app and all of the uh, text and questions will be there as well. But this has been a conversation through the first 12 chapters of Exodus. And we're ending this series at Easter. And the whole conversation really has been about this, this, this book. It's really a history book about God's people. It's their origin story. And, and Moses is, is writing this to a people who are wandering in the wilderness. And as we look at the past year, it's felt a lot like that, hasn't it? It's felt like a wandering, uh, a season where we just don't know what's coming and we're kind of, you know, feeling our way around in the dark. Uh, I was actually hanging out with some pastors this week down in California and we're getting some coaching. We're, we're talking about how the church is moving forward uh, on a national scale. And one of the guys said this, he said, uh, this is how COVID felt like to me. It's like somebody threw a black bag over my head and then just said, lead. And some of you have felt that before. Like somebody just threw a black bag over your head and said, hey, go for it. Lead us. Tell us where to go. And you're just like, I don't know what to do. It's felt like a wilderness wandering, like I'm just, I'm not sure what's next. And so the, the journey that we're at at this point is that God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And the work has gotten harder for them. They're in a really difficult situation. And at this point in the journey, they're probably losing some faith. In fact, uh, let me take you back to last week, Exodus 5, verse 22. It says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Have you ever been in the middle of a situation and just felt like God was doing evil to you? Like he's just out to get you. Uh, this is how Moses feels. He says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So God has promised to set his people free. He even goes and speaks that word to Pharaoh, tells Pharaoh, hey, set my people free. This is the word of the Lord. And Pharaoh goes, what Lord? I don't know your God. I don't care about your God. I will not set your people free. In fact, I'm going to make their work harder and more difficult. And Moses, what I love about Moses is he's honest. If there's one thing we can use in the church, um, it's some honesty. It's some authenticity. It's being willing to say, God, this is how I feel. And Moses is like, God, you have not delivered your people. You have not done what you said you were going to do. And so he's just crying out to God. He's frustrated with God. And I want to ask you a question here today to start off. Um, is there anybody in your life that you've lost faith in? Is there anybody that maybe has not followed through with what they said they would do or, or has not been faithful in the way that they said they'd be faithful and you just found yourself losing faith in this person? I think we've all been there. We've also been the person that people have lost faith in, right? We've made decisions where uh, we were not faithful to what we said we'd be faithful to. We didn't do what we said we would do. We've said things that are untrue. And in fact, the world that we live in could be called a world of lies, couldn't it? I mean, really, we live in a, in a world with lots of lies floating around, a lot of empty promises. In fact, I could say we live in a country that probably has a, a PhD in deception. 
we know how to deceive each other. We, 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 we've been deceived, right, by a lot of different things. I was reading a study this week that said we are lied to anywhere between 10 to 200 times a day, right? Which I love statistics like that. 10 to a billion. I don't know. You're, you're going to be right somewhere in there. But, but a lot. The whole point was you're lied to a lot of times in a day. And in fact, we live these digital lives, right? We're on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and whatever other platform you're on. And the whole point is to create a persona, an image of our lives in order to deceive our followers and friends into thinking that our lives are better than they really are, right? I mean, this is, we participate in deception. We are deceived. We've just walked through a political season and now everybody's talking about fake news, right? And we don't know what to believe, right? We struggle. We go to this website. It says one thing. This website, it says another. And it almost starts feeling like people don't even care what the truth is at this point, right? As long as you're saying what makes me feel good, then I'm happy. It doesn't matter if you believe it or if you're going to do it. And so this is the world that we live in, a world full of lies. And so how do we follow a God that's a God of promises in a world full of lies? How do we stay faithful to this God? How do we continue to trust this God when we live in this world that's so full of deception? Or here's an even harder, deeper question for you today. Have you ever felt like God is a liar? Now, if you're a church person, the answer was, no, right? No, Brian, of course not. God God doesn't lie. I know that, that God doesn't lie. I don't think he's a liar. God is perfect. He only tells the truth, and, and this is right. This is true, but I want to get kind of honest today and start to tease out the different ways that maybe we have felt like God is a liar. Certainly at this point in the story, God's people are starting to wonder, Right? Uh, the, the people of Israel are going, Moses, I don't know about this God that you keep bringing the word from, but it seems like he doesn't know what he's talking about. It seems like he, he can't really follow through with his promises. It seems like maybe he's not faithful to the things that he says he's going to be faithful to. And so in Exodus 6, Moses tells these enslaved people that God will bring you into the land that he promised Abraham. He's going to bring you into this land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be freedom from oppression. That sounds like great news, doesn't it? That sounds like some good news. If you were enslaved and dealing with that kind of oppression. Once again, throughout the story, what we're doing is we're layering the story on top of our lives and we're realizing that we are oppressed. We are enslaved by sin. There are things in our lives that have been done to us or done by us that don't lead to more freedom, but actually lead to oppression. And so we all have a, a certain amount of oppression in our lives. But then in Exodus 6, 9, it says this, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Sometimes life gets really difficult. And sometimes things are so hard that we stop listening, right? Sometimes things get so difficult and it looks like God is so inactive, we're so crushed by our circumstances that it seems like God isn't doing what he said he will do. And so God sends Moses to give them a promise, right? Now, uh, promises are good. It's good to, to, to say things and keep those, those, those promises, right? But here's what we know about promises is that a promise is only as valuable as the person giving it is trustworthy. Isn't that true? 
When somebody says something to you, aren't you evaluating their character when determining what to do with that statement, right? When somebody says, hey, I'll take care of this or do that, you're looking at the person going, can I trust you? Because I'll tell you, in this room are people of all different capacities for deception, right? So some of you have dealt with a little bit of lies in your life. And so when somebody lies to you or they don't hold up their end of the deal, you give them some grace and you try to work through it and you move on. Some of you are one and done people when it comes to lies. And you know who you are. You've maybe said this before. If you, if you lie to me once, we are no longer friends, right? All it takes is one time, one point of deception, one moment to think that you're not telling the truth and we are done because there's a scar there, right? There's a wound there. And so you're just like, I don't want to put myself through the pain of dealing with this. A promise is only as valuable as the person giving it. And so then how do we move forward? How can we possibly believe anyone? What might it look like? In John chapter 20, there's a moment um, with this guy named Thomas. And it's a really a famous moment in his life with Jesus. And Thomas is the one that we know today as Doubting Thomas, right? Isn't that a great uh, word to be assigned to your name for all of history, right? Doubting Brian for all of eternity, right? Not what I would want, but we know him as Doubting Thomas because Thomas had some doubts. He wasn't sure. He was a cynic, right? He didn't know what to believe. And, and, and Jesus at this point, um, in his mind, had not earned his trust. And so as Jesus is speaking, I would imagine in Thomas's mind, he's like, yeah, but, yeah, but I'm not sure I can, uh, I'm not so sure yet. So what he's saying throughout his life, he's like, I'm not sure that you're trustworthy. I'm not sure your character is up for it. And so then Jesus goes to a cross and Thomas is like, told you, right? I knew it. Knew he was a liar. I knew he wasn't the Messiah. And then he's resurrected, right? And then Thomas and Jesus have this interaction. I imagine his mind is blown. He's like, oh my goodness. He really is the Messiah. He's really alive. And then at that point, what we know is Thomas believed, right? And then Jesus makes this really interesting statement. He replies, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Something special about somebody being able to trust, right? Something powerful about faith, despite what the circumstances look like. He says, blessed is the person that believes even when they don't see. You see, believing without seeing is only possible based on the character of the one we're putting our trust in. There's no way to do this unless the person you're putting your trust in is trustworthy. There's no way to believe without seeing. Why would we, right? If we don't have a track record, why would we believe that they're going to be trustworthy? I mean, there's things that your wife might say, your husband might say, your friend might say, your parent might say. And the only way that you can believe without seeing is to have a track record of trustworthiness. So this, this leans into our relationship with God. How do you view God? Is he trustworthy or is he a liar? This is a real question, and I want you to wrestle with this today. Can God be trusted? Is he good? Will he take care of my needs? Does he want the best for me? Is there a reason I'm still struggling the way that I am? Is his way actually better than mine? And that's a really important question. Does anybody else wrestle with that? Is God's way actually better than mine, or is God a liar? 
So I want you to look at your life and, and just kind of take an audit of the way that you live and go, do I live like God is truth or like, like God is a liar? And as I was thinking about this text, I was actually flying on an airplane back uh, to Alaska a couple days ago, and God just was working on me in this text because he was bringing up ways that, that I didn't even realize I didn't believe in God. Like ways in my life that I didn't believe that God was trustworthy. Ways that I live that are actually calling God out as a liar. And we don't like to think of it this way, but, but when we sin, it's not just that we have a lapse of judgment or that we think our way is better. It's that we think God is a liar. Because we know the truth. If you do, if you've heard the word, if you know what God says is best, if you've heard what he wants you to do and you choose to do something different, it's actually our way of saying, God, you don't tell the truth and I'm not afraid of you. And that's a bold thing to say, isn't it? I mean, many of us wouldn't look up at God and say, I'm not afraid of you, right? Uh, Some of you have. But listen, you might not say that, but you live in a way that communicates the same thing. And I want you to kind of tease that out. And I I was just seeing how I do this in my life as well. And it starts with small things. So let's take stealing, for example. I don't know. I'm not going to take a show of hands. First service, everybody's raising their hands. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm a thief. I'm not going to make you do that. Um, But everybody at some point has probably stolen something, right? I mean, from just being a little kid, you know, piece of candy at the at their grocery store, whatever it may be, a toy or or just something that wasn't yours. And then and then maybe you got older and it turned into to bigger things, right? I mean, most people don't wake up one day and think, I want to throw my life away, go to prison uh, for being a thief. But there's this slow slip that happens with our integrity, isn't there? And the journey that we go down is really a journey of disbelief in God. It's a journey of saying, God, what you say is not true. It's a journey of what I need and want out of life will not be fulfilled by God. God, I don't trust you. I don't think that you're enough. I don't think you're my provider and my sustainer, so I better go and get me some of what I need. And so we take because we don't trust. Does that make sense? So, so it's, it's, a, it's a journey of unbelief. It's a journey of calling God out as a liar. One thing we talk really openly at ACF about is human sexuality. Um, and we, I always say this, we have a great kids' church downstairs. I'm just throwing that out there. You never know when this is coming up. But this is something, once again, where, where we would say, no, I trust God. I believe in God. But we live in such a way that we call God a liar, right? But when we find ourselves walking openly into addictions to pornography, when we're living and having sex outside of the covenant of marriage, right? All of these things are examples of the ways that we say, God, I know that you say this is best, but I think I know better. I know that you say this is the truth, that this is going to hurt me. And despite all of the data and all of the, 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 the biblical texts that say, hey, don't do this to yourself, we say, God, you're a liar. I know best, and I'm not afraid of you. And again, this, we don't want to say that, but this is what willingly walking into sin is about. How about our finances? Starts making people squirm in their seats, right? But money has a hold on our hearts. And it's something that certainly, uh, Jesus spoke more about money than, than anything else, really. He kept coming back to the idea of, of, of how money can be something that is a root of all sorts of evil in our lives if it doesn't hold its rightful place. And so one of the things that we do is we hold back our finances from being generous, from supporting the family of God, from tithing. And it's our way of saying, God, you are a liar. 
You do not own the cattle on a thousand hills, right? My finances and ability to make money did not come from you. And I don't believe that if I am generous that you will provide for me and my family. And we don't like to say this, and and I know I'm getting in your business, but that's what my job is. So this is what we do. We don't want to admit, but in so many ways we would call God a liar. How about the way that we speak about our faith? I want you to think about when's the last time you actually were able to share about Jesus with somebody? Uh, When's the last time you were actually uh, willing and able to to live like Jesus into somebody's life, to to bless somebody, meet a need, serve them, do something in the name of Jesus, whatever that looks like? And I was thinking about it this way, that one of the things that we talk about is that as, as believers, the good news is if we follow Jesus, we spend eternity with him. The bad news is if we don't, then we spend eternity separated from God. Do you believe that if if you're a Christian? I'm seeing some head nods. You believe that. Okay, so we say that. We say that that is so true. But then once again, I want to look at at our lives. Does my life show that I believe hell is real and that heaven is real? Does my life reflect that? I have a friend, um, and every time I ask him a question, uh, the answer is yes. He says, sure as hell, man. That's his answer. Uh, Sure as hell, man. And I was thinking about that. If... If you're actually sure of hell, how would you live? Like, like, sure as hell, are you sure about hell? Are you really sure about it? Because I think if I was sure about it, I might be a little more bold about my faith. I think if I really believe that my friends and neighbors are going to spend eternity apart from Jesus, man, like, I don't know that I could sleep at night without knowing that I'd done something, done whatever I'm called to do to try to live like Jesus into their lives. The truth is we, um, we don't believe God the way that we think we do. And in fact, uh, in Romans 1.18, it says this. This is pretty harsh, but it's going to get better. Hold on. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth, now listen to this, by their wickedness. So how do we suppress the truth in the world? We live in wicked ways. Wicked ways are just simply living openly in sin. Rejecting what God says is best. So we're not only doing something to hurt ourselves. We're literally suppressing the truth in the world. We're literally preaching a sermon to the world. When we live like God is not faithful, what we're saying to the world is God is a liar. Don't trust him. If God's own people won't trust him, why would anybody else? And so we got to get real about this and say, man, this is real. Um, I've done this. You have done this. And the only way to, to move forward is to admit that we have some doubts about God's faithfulness. I mean, that's the only way to move forward. And unfortunately, the church in many ways has become a, a place where you can't admit that you're a doubter. Uh, where, where you will be shamed if you have doubt in your mind or even where people think that if I have doubts in God, I need to extract myself from the family of God and go get my stuff figured out. And I just want you to hear this today. Listen, I honestly believe that doubt is a legitimate phase of your journey with Jesus. This is really important that you understand this. If you have doubts today, and you're like, I'm not so sure about any of this, but I'm not so sure about you, Brian. That's okay. I'm fine with that. That your doubt is a legitimate phase of your journey with Jesus. It was for Thomas. And it can be for you, and it certainly has been for me. 
in my life. And I know that maybe you've been through some stuff that would cause you to say, I don't trust God. If only you knew. If only you knew, Brian, then, then, then you would understand. And, and I want to say this to you as a pastor and as a Christian. I want to say this to you. If we had been through what you've been through, we would probably doubt too. I have never been through what you've been through. With the circumstances that surrounded it, with the people that were involved with it, with the journey that brought you into it and out of it, none of us, not one of us, has been through what you've been through. But, but there are probably legitimate reasons that you have some doubts. I mean, Israel is literally enslaved. Their whole life is making bricks without straw. I don't know what your life looks like right now, but mine's better than that. <laughs> I'll be honest. My, my life is better than making bricks without straw every day. They are lost in this oppressive environment that is designed to crush them. We talked last week. It's like a Nazi concentration camp. That's the whole point. It's to crush their spirits. And so I look at that and go, I don't know how my relationship with God would look like if I was walking through that. Some of you have lost loved ones, have had terrible medical diagnosis, have gone through really, really difficult trauma. And I just want you to know... um, we're with you in it, and we understand if you struggle. And so it begins by being honest with God, but then moving forward through that as well. So the first step is to admit your doubts. The second step is to doubt your doubts. As much as you doubt God, I want you to start doubting your doubts. There is a chance that God is faithful and your doubts are not. That God is true and your doubts are not. There is a chance that, that ultimately what is in your mind when it comes to this trauma or this struggle or whatever it is with your faith in God, whatever the barrier is, there's a chance that that's the lie and that God is the truth. And if there's a chance of that, wouldn't you want to find that out? And wouldn't you want to align your life towards what is true in the world? That's exactly what we're all here to do. So if you want to flip forward to Exodus 6, what Moses is going to do is help God's people replace the lies in their minds with the promises of God. And listen, if you're here today and you're dealing with some lies, or you're thinking that God is a liar, what you have to do is have some promises to fill the gap. You have to know what does God claim to be and what will he claim to do. And if you can't answer that question, that you are in a really dangerous place in your faith. If you're like, I don't really know what God promises, then you are, you're just waiting for life to blow you over and to end up in a really unhealthy spot. And so I'm going to walk through these different things that, that are promised by God. Because, listen, I know that no matter what you're dealing with, it's probably causing you to have some doubts. And, and for these people that were hearing these promises, they were so oppressed and that oppression was, was causing them to struggle believing in God. I would say it this way. Oppression can make us deaf to God's promises. This is why they needed to hear this so much is because no matter when your life gets hard, it starts to make you doubt God. And, and you start to wonder, is God really true? And so oppression, no matter what it is, can start to cause us to question God's faithfulness. Is he true? Is he honest? And so we have to replace those doubts with promises. And so here's the first promise that God makes. First, He says, I will bring you out. God's going to bring us out. And what's really important to understand is this, there's a lot lost in the English language. This this word or name, I, in the Hebrew is the name Yahweh. 
And, and the Hebrew people, they actually had different names for God to, to help them uh, explain the character of God and who he was. And in Exodus 6.3, it says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. This sounds confusing. I made myself known to them, but I didn't make myself known to him. What he's saying is that I made myself known to them in this way, but not in this way, right? Do you have friends who only know part of you, right? They know the work version of you, or they know the fun version of you, right? Whatever that version, what he's saying is that I only revealed myself in this certain way. And so there are two names of God that are actually being used in this text. The first name is El Shaddai. And this name could be described as the mountain God. God from the mountain. The God that brings down the Ten Commandments, right? This God of power. This God that's riding on the clouds. This powerful, overwhelming God. He's strong. He's unstoppable. Basically, he's saying God has revealed himself as this God so far. And to some of you, that's who God is. Man, he's distant. He's big. He's powerful. He's on a mountain somewhere. But then the second name that's used is this name, Yahweh, which means the personal God. Uh, You'll notice that there's no vowels in this name because this name literally means breath. It means breath. The Jewish rabbis would teach that when a child is born, the first thing that they would do is literally speak the name of God as they took their first breath. And isn't it beautiful that there are different names of God to to help us understand the character that God is not just God on a mountain, God powerful, God who could crush us if he wanted to, but he's also a God that's so close that he's the breath in your lungs. I mean, that's a God that's near, right? Doesn't get any nearer than that, than the God is literally the breath in our lungs. God is both personal and he's powerful, and so he can bring you out of whatever you're dealing with. This is the promise. Whatever it is today, he can do both. Second promise is this, I will rescue you from your bondage. That's a good promise. Once again, these promises were for them, and they're also for us here today. God wants to move us out from where we are. Do you know that uh, you're always moving somewhere? That in your faith, you're always moving somewhere. And I'll tell you that through COVID-19, there have been two kinds of people. First, there have been people who have been drifting. And I want you to know, if you're drifting in your faith, you are drifting away from God. The human heart does not drift toward God. It does not drift towards righteousness. It does not drift towards generosity and love for others. The human heart always drifts away from God. And so there's, there's a certain type of person through this whole past year who's just sport, sort of been drifting in their faith, and so they have drifted away from God. I guarantee it. But then there is a second type of person that through this past year has been intentional about their faith. They've been, man, waking up on Sunday morning and watching online, you know, eating their Cheerios, doing their thing. Like, at least they're like, man, I'm doing something. They've been open in the Bible, and even though it's difficult to understand sometimes, man, they're studying, they're having some conversations. They've been going to an outpost or, or going to ACF Youth Culture or, or, or showing up to uh, 1825, our college ministry. Like, they've been doing something to show up to get engaged through COVID-19, and these people are growing. These people are getting set free. These people are, are developing a hunger, which is why right now God is doing incredible stuff in the church, Right? Like, like, there are people who are not here, but I am so fired up about the people who are. 
Amen. Yeah, and, and you online, I'm just grateful for all of you who are still engaged, who are leaning in right now. And for those of you who, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, it's been years since I've been to church. It's been years since I've, I've explored my faith. And so there's just something that got lit on fire. God wants to rescue us from our bondage. The third thing is this. He says, I will redeem you. And, and the words he used is, uh, by my mighty hand. So God wants to redeem us, to pull us out of the muck in the mire of our lives by the, by the power of God. Remember, he can heal us from anything. Don't forget how powerful he is. Um, one of the things we've been doing as a family is um, we, we've kind of gone down the wormhole of Netflix and run out of stuff to watch. Anybody else done this? I mean, we've logged, I don't know how many thousands of hours watching uh, streaming videos throughout the past year, but you hit a point where you're just like, there's literally nothing on, right? A billion options. We've watched them all. And so you're just waiting for, like, the new stuff to show up. And, and so we saw that they, uh, they had a new documentary about the Challenger space shuttle and, and just kind of that whole situation. And I was watching it, and what struck me was when the, uh, the shuttle was taking off, just the power now, I don't, has anybody seen a space shuttle take off in person? Has anybody been around that, a few of you? That's incredible. I mean, I'm guessing it's like shaking your guts out. I mean, the, the, the power and the intensity of that explosive environment. And I just think about this, that God will redeem us by his mighty, powerful right hand. He's trying to communicate to them like God can do it. I know it seems terrible. I know that you seem, it seems like there's no way to get out of this, but God can and, and claims that he will do this. Number four is this, I will adopt you. Do you know that when you become a believer, you get a family? And uh, for some of you, that sounds like good news. For others of you, you're, you're like, that sounds like terrible news. Uh, <laughs> depending on your family, Right? Uh, if you've got a great family environment, you're like, oh, great, more brothers and sisters. Others of you are like, my family's been so dysfunctional, I don't need more family. And, and I can't claim that the family of God isn't dysfunctional. It's, it's kind of why we have the Bible, um, because we needed some letters to teach us how to live. But what I can say to you is that the family of God is covered in the grace of God, and that by that grace, we can actually learn to live and and, and move with one another and encourage one another. And, and that it's a beautiful thing to be part of the family of God. I love that we get a family. We're adopted into God's family. Uh, some friends of ours were adopting a child, and I will never forget going to the courthouse and watching the judge get up, and, and he just declared that this was now their child, and the place lost their minds. I mean, everybody lost it. We're screaming, we're yelling, we're cheering, we're, we're hugging. We couldn't contain ourselves because this child now had a home. And I love that that's what the family of God did. You know, nobody had to get up front and say, hey, um, when the judge says that now the adoption is for sure, everybody's going to stand, we're going to clap a little, a little golf clap uh, for this. Nobody had to do that, right? He just said, this is now your child, and everybody lost their minds. That's why when we do baptism at ACF Church, we're doing this every month, it's a celebration, right? And I get up and I say, hey, we're going to clap together because some of you don't know what it's like to be in this family. In this family, we lose our minds when somebody gets saved. We lose our minds because it's just so exciting. We can't believe it. We're like a brother, a sister to be part of this family. We are so excited when somebody joins the family of God. Number five, 
He says, I will be your God. What a powerful claim. He says, I will adopt you and I will be your God. Do you know that there's an aspect of your salvation that isn't always or at all yours? Like has nothing to do with you? And there's a lot of confusion and tension and we can argue about these things. Did I choose God? Did he choose me? Yes, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension there. But in the end, there's an aspect of your salvation that is not yours, that God chose you. He came after you. And I love that that's how Jesus shows up, right? To seek out and save the lost, the hurting, the broken. I love that God doesn't just wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. And so this is a claim by God, like, you're going to be my kid. And I will be your God. So no matter what you think about, well, did I choose God or, or whatever, I love this text. First Timothy 2 says this, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires, say this with me, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So how many people does God want to be saved? All of them. See, some of you walk in a room like this and you're like, salvation and Christianity, faith and stuff, that's for all these churchy people. It's not for me. This text says it's for you. You're included in all. And God wants to be your father. He wants you in the family. Number six, he says, I will bring you into the land. This is a great promise. This land that I've promised you, I'm actually going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you. Do you know that God really wants to bless you? He really does. And I'm not afraid to say that. I don't think blessing looks like what we make it into sometimes, but God really does bless his people. I am convinced of this. I'm convinced we are way more blessed than we realized. I was thinking about this week, like uh, I was in California, came back to Alaska and found out we had snowpocalypse, right, 2021. Uh, luckily, Ryan, who's running the sound back here, he plowed me out, um, cleaned out my driveway. But it was a lot of snow. And, and I'm guessing for some of you, at one point during that snowstorm, you stood by a, by a window and you looked out the window and watched the snowfall and you just thought, I'm so glad that I'm in here. And do you have those little moments? You're just like, man, God is so good. And I am really convinced of this. If God were to in some way make us completely aware of all of the blessings that are in our lives, I'm convinced we'd be, we'd be immobilized by worship. Like we wouldn't be able to do anything else. We'd be on our faces like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how blessed I am. God has been so good to me. Oh my, I can't move. I just got to give him praise and honor. I don't think we know how he's protected us what he's saved us from, and what he's given us. And if we did, everything would change. And the last one is this. He says, I will give you an inheritance. You know, when you get brought into the family, you get an inheritance. That's good news, right? And so in the family of God, there is an inheritance. There's something coming for us. God gives us a hope and a future and an eternity with him. His kingdom is coming. We believe that. And we're living toward that. We're actually aligning our lives with the inheritance that comes from God. And for these people, this would have been a really big deal. They've never owned land. This idea of getting an inheritance to own a land, they've been homeless, right? So think about that. You're homeless and God's like, I'm going to give you a home. 
I'm going to give you an inheritance. Our family, we have a family farm in Maine. And when my grandfather passed away, he passed that down as part of the inheritance. But here's the reality for God's people. You may think you own land, but you own nothing on this earth. My house and my property will be sold off to the highest bidder the day I die. It's just how it's going to work. So we don't really own anything here. So this is a promise for something in the future that's going to come for God's people. So these are all great and, and true. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'll believe it when I see it, right? You're Thomas. I'll believe it when I see it. So what about me? What about me? I've got some doubts, Brian. I've got some, some fears. Maybe I do think that God's a liar. I love Exodus 6, 7. He says, I will take you as my own people. Once again, it's not all about you. Some of you have been accosted by God in a really beautiful way, right? You've got a story of this where you're like, it's like, I, it's like God showed up in my life and I had no choice in the matter. It was like he just started speaking and he was real and I just didn't know what to do. So there's like, God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Now listen to this. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So don't miss this. At this point, they had not seen a lot of God's faithfulness. At this point, their entire lives had been marked by slavery and oppression. At this point, they had every single reason to doubt, even to look at God and go, God, you have not come through with what you said you were going to come through with. They had not seen that God is faithful. But listen, on this side of the cross, we have. If you're a believer here today, and you believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, come to earth to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we couldn't die so that we could live with God forever. If you believe that, then on this side of the cross, we have every reason to trust God, the God who would die for us. So I want you to look back at what that thing is in your life, maybe multiple things. You're like, I think I'm calling a God a liar right here. And I want you to see that there may be some reasons to doubt, but God... God has always been faithful to you, and he always will be. And in some ways, maybe it's not even as bad as, as you think it is, as you start to be honest with God. In fact, um, things have been pretty bad over the past year, and uh, we were talking about it in the office the other day. I love our staff. We have a very um, different demographics on our staff. Danny, um, who's on our team, he's a little bit older. And uh, I was talking to Danny. I'm like, man, it's just, it's never been so bad in our country. And Danny's like, because that's, that's because you weren't alive in the 70s. And I was like, oh, tell me about that. Some of you who were alive in the 70s are like, oh, I could tell you about the 70s, right? But I needed that perspective like, oh, it seems like it's just so terrible. And like, how could this ever be redeemed? But he's like, no, it, it's happened before. It'll, it'll happen again. There's, some, there's something powerful about seeing how things have done in the past, how God has been faithful in the past so that we can move forward in the future. So here's my last question for you. Has God given you a reason to trust him? You can say no. You can say yes. But has God given you a reason to trust him? Have you had some of those standing in the window moments and been like, oh, man, I'm more blessed than I realize? Have you looked at your life lately and seen some things that you've been spared from that other people have not? And been like, wow, God's pretty faithful. Are there some ways that he's taken care of you and fulfilled his promises that you haven't stopped to honor him for. You just fall on your face and say, God, I'm so sorry I didn't thank you for this. 
so sorry I didn't realize how good you were to me until some things were taken away from me. And I realized you've been a really, really good dad. So I want to do a little exercise to close out here today. Sometimes we need each other to see God's faithfulness. Sometimes I need to hear how he's worked in your life so that I can know that he's going to work in mine. And so I want you to be a little bold here, if you would. I want you to be willing to raise a hand here as I ask these questions. So first one is this. I want you to raise your hand if you have seen God free yourself or someone else from some kind of addiction. Did you raise your hand? Look around. I don't know what you're caught in today, but God can do it. Would you raise your hand if anybody here has seen God heal a marriage that you thought was unhealable? Look around. I know I have. I want you to raise your hand if you have seen God provide someone a child when it seemed like it was impossible. Anybody here? Look around. I want you to raise your hand if you've seen God bless someone for choosing to be generous. the last one. I want you to raise your hand if you've seen God take someone from cynicism about God in the church to loving God and loving the church. There's a place for you. There's a family for you. And look, don't miss this. When we walk in willful rebellion, what we do is we call God a liar, tell the world that God is untrustworthy. But when we walk in obedience, even when we don't feel it, we tell the world that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's a sermon I want to preach to them. Why don't you grab your insert real quick? We just have a few next steps on this card. This is just something we do if you're new to ACF. Uh, We just drop these in the basket on the way out. You can kind of tear off this little bottom part. And... uh, We'd love to text you just encouragement this week on how to move forward. Maybe today you just want to join the family. If that's all you heard today, praise God. Join the family. Maybe you want to confess your doubts to God and you just want to be like Moses and say, God, you haven't come through for me. Once again, God will not be surprised by that. He'll actually be grateful that you're finally being honest with him. Number three, maybe you want to notice God's faithfulness in your life. And just this week, you're going to to try to stop throughout your days. Just notice that God is blessing you, faithful to you. Or number four, maybe you want to do a better job of showing others that you believe. What sermon are you preaching to your friends, to your parents, to your children? Are you telling them that God is trustworthy? Are you saying that he's a liar? So once you check that, and then you can just drop this in the basket on the way out. Would you uh, stand? I'd love to pray for you. And then we're going to close in worship here today. Father, thank you so much for this family. Thank you for a church that uh, we can just be real and honest with. And God, thank you that you love us in our doubts, that you've known all along. God, you aren't coming to the realization that we think you're a liar. Uh, We are. 
So Father, would you show that to us so that we can bring it before you honestly? God, make us a church that preaches a a message to the world that you are trustworthy, that my God can be trusted. God, we know there's no better way to, to share that message than with the way that we live. Give us grace for when we fail. But God, give us hope that you will fulfill every single promise, either here on this earth or in eternity with you. God, that you are trustworthy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.